Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Posh Report podcast. I'm your host, James Maley, and today we'll be looking back at yesterday's 3-0 win over MK Dons. I'm delighted to be joined by Liam from the MK1 podcast, the Milton Keynes-specific podcast, uh, and he's going to give us some insight on that side of things. How are you doing, Liam? Uh, yeah, not too bad. How are you, James? Yeah, good, thank you. Probably in a, probably in a better mood, football-wise, than, than yourself after yesterday's game. <laughs> Just um, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll come on to the game specifically in a little bit, but always like to get a little bit of, of background information on, on the opposition before we go into it. So I think that sets the scene nicely and, and, and gives a bit of context to the, to the game itself, because obviously a lot of people fans watch from a people's perspective. So it's always nice to know what the opposition was like coming into the game. Um, one really interesting thing for posh fans is, is Russell Martin in, in charge of MK Dunce. Um So I think he came in uh, la- last season, partway through the season. Um, and, and he's doing some really interesting things at Milton Keynes. So would you like to just tell us a bit about Martin, how he sets the team up and, and sort of the fans' opinion on him? Um, yes, typically, well, when he first came in, um, Martin decided to go with a 4-1-2-1-2 diamond setup. Um, but more so this season, which is his first full season of management, he's gone with a 3-5-2 setup. And um, the whole sort of ethos has been this total football, so having lots of possession, um, some posh fans may have seen we've been labelled the possession champions of Europe uh, throughout this season just because we typically average um, over 60% possession in all our games and I'm I'm pretty sure yesterday's game um, was another one of those examples um, and yeah he's he's tried to essentially not the quality of the play he doesn't really care about he cares about the actual style and philosophy and we've seen over the months especially this season how players have really adapted to that and, you know, of course, we've attracted players like Scott Fraser, um, who is our creative hub, essentially, of everything that we do. Um, and also players like Richard Keogh and some new recruits, which we'll get on to later. Um, we've sort of attracted those players now. And Russ Martin and his assistant, Luke Williams, have really brought a new philosophy about the club and brought back the MK way, which we haven't really seen properly since Carl Robinson was in charge, with uh, the likes of Deli Alley and Lewis Baker, for example. Um, so yeah, we're still very much in transition stage, but Russ Martin has, you know, he reconnected back with the fans. Obviously, he did a podcast of ourselves, um, and he's trying to bring back what the club's been all about since its formation in terms of the MK way, attractive football, uh, total football, if you like, um, and trying to get back up to the championship from beyond. Yeah, I think from looking in from the outside, Martin's approach to management has been really, really interesting in terms of his, his game model, which we saw a lot yesterday, building building from the back, trying to build that identity. I mean, MK are a real outlier in terms of both possession, in terms of how infrequently they will play long, sitting at about, I think, 10% long passes per game, which is crazy. Like, Pete, for a team that likes to play out from the back, typically average about 15 to 18% long passes. So that's quite a big difference there. But you touched on it. The the interesting thing about it is how he communicates with the fans seems to be really different. And and how is that going down? So just a little bit on how he's managed the fans and his communication. So I've, I've heard him really try to engage with the fan base a lot. And a bit about are the fans buying into this MK Don side or do they want to see you perhaps play a little bit quicker and a little bit more direct? Um, yeah, firstly on the fans, um, I'd say that from minute one, he's really showing the emphasis on trying to connect with the fan base in general. And I think he's gone to uh, the media team, Ant and Cal, and said to them, OK, I want to connect with the fans, um, give me the avenues to do that. 
And the initial phase of that was the fans forums that he did, which I'm not sure if you saw James, but there were several screenshots of him introducing what he wants to introduce to the club in terms of the ROI models that, for example, Brentford and Norwich have introduced. And that was phase one and that went down really well. Um, and then obviously phase two of that was uh, coming on a podcast like ours and doing things for the you know, support association and Don's action who are, you know, one of the pivotal parts of our core fan base at least. And yeah, he he seems to get it, which is nice. And as I mentioned earlier, we haven't really had that connection since Carl Robinson. And even Carl Robinson wasn't really that connected in terms of doing communications outside of the club channels. Um you, know, you have to remind me a second part of the question. I've completely forgot. Um, I, know, I think I think you I think you've nailed your answer to that. I wanted because I listened to the podcast you did with you guys. Um, yeah. Anyone who's not who's not listened to it should 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 dig that out on Spotify or or any whatever you listen to your podcast on whatever you listen on this one. It'll be there as well. Um, and I, yeah, I found it fascinating. One, the detail he went into about his philosophy and why he does that. You never really hear a manager talking like that and going into that detail with fans. And I think that's really interesting. And I like if, 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 if he was a Peter manager, that would be, or if a Peter manager did that, I'd definitely be something I'd buy into. The other interesting thing is I think it's been his recruitment. So I think we'll build onto that both in January and in the summer, because when he, he, he recruits for a clear game model and that's obviously really important. And, and the players he's bringing in, they, they have a purpose. And you, and you mentioned Fraser and the game model allows him to recruit, but also he's, he's not long retired and he's been tapping into a, a few of his old players. And I found that really interesting to talk about. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about his recruitment there? Um, yeah, so I'll start with the older players. So, yeah, he seem, he's, I think that's the benefit with these player managers or uh, who managers who are recently retired, as you mentioned. They have these connections with, for example, Andrew Serban, who played with Norwich, um, you know, and even players like Richard Keogh, who he didn't even uh, play with Richard, I believe, but he knew him quite well from, obviously, play days playing in the Championship for Norwich and things like that. And, you know, it, it's, it's all like getting him in the door, I think. I think, I feel for Bressman and the recruitment team, that seems to be quite a big thing. You know, getting these talents in the door, trying to trying to sort of plant in their brains what type of football we're trying to play. And... You know, it happened with Fraser, for example. I spoke with Liam Sweeten the other week and he was saying how, you know, Scott Fraser came to the one of Papa John's games against Northampton Town earlier in the season and he had other offers from like the likes of Sunderland and teams in the championship, but he saw the way we were playing uh, football and he decided to join us. And I think that's been the same for some of the re- recruitment in um, Charlie Brown and Ethan Laird you know, they're both coming from high profile teams uh, one permanently in Brown one on loan in Laird and they've obviously seen how the club has sort of developed football this season and you, want to, you can call us data darlings maybe but that's attracted these players and in the future if that philosophy continues then it's bound to keep attracting more and more of these talents to come to the club and of course as we well, obviously, we're losing talents. Of course, we've lost them already. But the more we can bring in, the better the club's going to get and the more this recruitment strategy can expand. No, absolutely. I mean, I know there's a bit of a rivalry between Posh and MK and, and the fan base, but the the Milton Keynes project seems to be a really interesting one, seems to be one that's really starting to gather legs. I know, I know they're down in the bottom half of the table, but as you say, if you look, if you look at like the expected goals data and, and, and just any general performance data, 
it's it has been probably in the boxes where they really have struggled and, and perhaps aren't yeah. as, as as high at the table as they could be. Um, but one that seems to be building a bit of momentum, as you say, they're getting like players like Fraser. Really glad he went to a team like MK for his career, as opposed to say a Sunderland. So I can see him getting lost in Sunderland and how they play. But MK and the freedom he gets in the like the three eight role or the ten role really suits his game. And then the other thing you see Martin be able to do is you see a player like Cameron Jerome, for example, go to Milton Keynes. You know, play Premier League Championship all his career, dropping down to League One. Often you see the player there just for the pay pay packet, right? And just extending their career. And you get a real, you get a real like poorer version of that player than you've had in the past. But Jerome's been one who seems to have come in, not only scored goals, but like worked hard. See, you see him running in behind, you see him running channels still, you see him linking play still. And he, like, obviously that relationship Martin has with him personally, one, allowed him to get him in, then two, ensures that once he's through the door, he's putting that effort in. Um, the last thing we'll talk about before we talk about the game and, and again getting a bit more context wise is there's a bit of disruption to that MK Dons team in, in the build up to the game and it probably looked a little bit different to how yourself and I was expecting it to look so um, what? just tell us a little bit about the state MK Dons came into that game and, and what happened in the week and perhaps a few players who were missing Yeah so we were already missing um, a fair few key players uh, one of those being David Kasumu who been injured for a, a little while. Uh, Warren O'Hara, another player, he was out injured. He looks to be signing permanently from the club now. Um, so immediately there, you're missing, you know, one of your better centre backs and your pivot midfielder, who when we typically operate in three five two, Kasimu tends to be that person. So missing those two key cogs initially was quite bad, but um, obviously the team just came out at two uh, yesterday, and there was no Richie Keo there. And obviously, a lot of people have said opinions of Richard Keogh these days. But on the pitch, Richard Keogh was one of our better players, if not, uh, I think, in my opinion, our best player next to Fraser. Um, what I've recently did stuff for Huddersfield and Huddersfield Town podcast, which will be out very soon. But what he's done for that team in terms of leadership and ex- as excellence on the pitch in general and organisation has been so pivotal. And to have that stripped away from the team at the time for no reason was, it was devastating. And I think the results from yesterday's game kind of showed that, you know, without getting into it too much, there was a real lack of organisation. There seemed to be a real lack of communication as well and leadership on the field. And uh, we got ripped apart, quite frankly. And that's not a surprise really with this posh front three um, who will score against any team, especially against a team who seemed to lack that key sort of features of communication and leadership and organisation. No, and I, I, yeah, and I think it's really important to stress that, like, so the players O'Hara, Kasumu, played really strong games against Peterborough um, in yeah. the away leg, especially like Kasumu and his athleticism in midfield, but also, he, you know, he's a good ball player as well, really nice rounded player, 21, when you'd anticipate he's going to step onto the championship perhaps in the next two or three years. Um, and then, again, missing O'Hara at right centre-back and then Losing Keo at central centre-back, you had to have a real rejig. So you brought Lewington in from left centre-back into central centre-back. Harvey played left centre-back and Paul came in at right centre-back. So no one in that game was in the central defence was playing in the same positions they played against Peterborough. And there's a bit of an interesting dynamic in terms of that, in that Posh had to do a similar thing. And I was really surprised by how Posh set, set up. So I was expecting Mason to start a left centre-back with, with Beavers playing centrally. And Mason started in the centre of the three. And 
was outstanding, just absolutely outstanding. And the, what Posh had to rejig, but you saw that rejig worked really, really well. Um, I, I don't think Mason's ever played there for Posh, certainly not to, to the best of my memory, but was just so good in terms of his positioning. He, he covered a lot of three balls that came out wide. He stepped out at the right times. He won his headers as well and, and, and did a really good job on Jerome and knew when to step in and step out. You really saw his intelligence. And I think that role really suited him, which was the complete reverse of, I thought, the, the MK Dons back three, whereby obviously they, they send the uh, wide centre-backs really wide in possession. But there were loads of, there was big, big gaps when Posh were transitioning between the centre-backs and the wide centre-backs. And then you saw Posh constantly running between them and, and finding space between them and round them, especially in that first half an hour where I thought Posh really dominated the game. So I think it is important to stress just how how big a disruption that was in, in the build-up for MK Dons. Um, how did you see, let's move on to the game now. So how did you see the... I'm going to, I want to break it up a little bit. So I'm going to say the first half an hour of that game. Um, talk me through that from an MK perspective and, and how you saw that. Um, yeah, so from the first minute, we seemed set up in a 4-3-1 essentially. Um, so Dan Harvey was more advanced of a, a left attacking midfielder, which he's more of an attacking wing back anyway, so he could definitely play that role. Um, and then... That was kind of mixed in with Sorinola as well. He was quite getting fairly advanced. And then on the other side, you had Ben Gladwell and Ethan Laird, who maybe need a bit more time together because they didn't seem to work too well. Um, but initially, that was the setup. And then Andrew Sale went off after about 10, 15 minutes. And um, Joe Mason came on. So then we saw Joe Mason and Jerome sort of come into that 3 5 2 formation, which I'm more familiar with, uh, which saw Lassa Sorensen drop into that six role, which is the pivot. And um, Scott Fraser kind of dropped back a bit more to join a Ben Gladwin. Um, so that and that alone, um, if you even if you took if you had Keo on the pitch, that alone is enough disruption in the team to cause problems. So then you you've got players out of position. You've got Dan Harvish playing left centre back, which I think he's played there once against Norwich under twenty ones. And to be honest, against a bunch of kids, it's. It's not really a judge of anyone's ability there. Um, so, yeah, of course, Bosch got the first goal. Um, Joe Ward, who, as you mentioned in your preview for us, James, was really good. And he did where we were off the first goal. Typical Clark Harris goal. Um, and we were immediately on the back foot, which is often a trait we saw earlier in the season. It's not always kind of time traveled a few months back to when we were just conceding loads of goals early in games. Um, and... We didn't really react. You know, we didn't have a shot on target. Um, I said that it's the whole first half. We didn't have a shot on target the whole first half. Um, and yeah, we really struggled to get a foothold in the game. And Posh basically put us to the sword a little bit. And and that's going to happen when you've got a shaky defence against one of the more prolific attacks in the league. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm surprised you said you saw it as a 4-2-3 win. I see this as a 4-2-3 win. I thought early on, I saw it as more of a back three with a box midfield and wing backs. Um, especially in possession, that's how I saw it because Laird was playing so high up the pitch. I thought that's what it that's what it turned into. Um, but yeah, as as, as you say, and then regardless, they switched that three five two, yeah, bringing Mason yeah. up front from about fifteen minutes. Um, I thought so. So I did a preview to the game, and some and a couple of the things I said that I wanted to see Posh do, which they didn't do in the in the in the first game, was number one, press high up the pitch. 
Number two, force the direction of play. So stop that switch of play and force the direction one way. And then the third thing I said I wanted to do was attack in behind the wing backs. And I thought for half an hour, Posh did those things superbly well. So it wasn't just the effort that the front three were putting in. So out of possession, Posh were playing, you can say, a 3-4-3 sort of formation with Schmodix, Dembele and um, Clark Harris pressing high up the pitch and then the wing-backs coming up to join the press when necessary and the midfielders are stepping up onto the, the Milton Keynes midfielders. But the thing that the front three were doing superbly well was their angles and their intelligent pressing was they were curving their runs to stop the switch of play and force the play one way. So MK do it and most teams will do it. You want a, you basically want a man overload on the first line. So MK had the back three and then when... Um, especially after the change, they had the single pivot. So it started off being uh, Sorensen as the number six and then Gladwin became the number six. So they were trying to create that 4v3. But Posh with their three players basically took the opposite wide centre-back out of the game on the weak side and forced everything down the line. I think in those first half an hour, I've not seen MK Dons play. I've not watched loads of them. I've watched a few games. I've not seen them play so many long balls just down the line with Posh turning over possession so often. And the first goal, I thought, you, you know... The defending was poor, but I thought from Peterborough, we saw them implementing their, their game plan in terms of it started off with a long diagonal from Mason to Butler, who got in behind Laird. So Laird was playing really high up out of possession in the midfield line and, and Butler did a really good job of driving in behind that space. The initial cross didn't work, but they switched play really well to Ward. And then Clark Harris does exactly what you what you say Clark Harris does in that he made that run to the front post got in between Lewington and Paul. Um, I think it was I think it was Paul who was marking him as the right centre-back and just lost him as he arced his run in there um, and, and managed to tuck that away. You know, from an MK Don's point of view, you, you're questioning one Lair's position out of possession. You're questioning Sorinola as he's pressing across to Ward. Like, no way Ward should have the time and space on the ball. So he doesn't do enough to stop the cross. You're questioning Paul picking up the... the um, cooking up Clark House's run. But as you say, but as we said before, perhaps a little bit of the changes, but from a people point of view, really, really good. And I thought, especially for that first half an hour, Posh's tempo was in and out of the possession was was excellent. The pressing was really good. They were moving the ball quickly. I, I kind of thought that MK maybe moved the ball a little bit too slowly. I think a couple of times they wanted too many touches and then pitch maybe played a part, but any sloppy passes, Posh were stepping on it. Hamilton and, and Taylor were superb in the middle of midfield, their energy, their dynamism, um, picking up any any loose balls, loose balls into that area. I saw um I saw Russell Martin, I saw some of his quotes, and he said he was, you know, he didn't see it as a three-nil game. He he saw it completely differently to that. How did you see how did you see the game in terms of as if we're moving on for that first half an hour as the game progressed, did you, did you see MK Dons building into it? Or did you see Posh maybe sitting back more and dictating and, and, and causing issues in transition? Um, I think those quotes from Russell Martin are kind of classic Russell Martin. Um, he tends to associate uh, dominance with possession. And, you know, in times that is true. Um, you know, say you've taken the lead and you're just literally passing the ball around teams like Man City tend to do. Yeah, that is dominance. Um, but I think when you're losing a game, it's it's hard to call um, that type of possession a dominance. Um, but I think for me, yeah, I think the, the start of the second half we did 
we did tend to see Mokey Alonso get back into the game. Obviously, there's a few spectative efforts from the likes of Paul and Gladwin and Fraser. Um, but they were creating some chances. Yes, it wasn't enough, but it was at least something. You know, a lot of those, a lot of those games, we tend to see um, Milton Keynes just not creating chances like Crew, for example, away. That was a clear example of a game where they just seemed to not do anything going forward and essentially just a set defeat. Um, but I think from a posh point of view, I think that second half especially really highlighted the um, excellence of Taylor and Hamilton in the middle. I feel they just shut everything down that MK Lons were trying to do. And that's what you mentioned about the long balls. I think they were forcing that from the likes of Lewington, who, yeah, he's, he's good with, with playing the long balls. I think he made 10 out of 16 um, for this game in particular. But, yeah, it, it was a difficult performance. And I think if you're going to go 2-0 down by half-time, you're always up against it, no matter what team you play against. And, um, yeah, I feel, um, you know, Posh didn't need to do much, really. And even then, when they had the two shots in the second half, I still scored from one of them. Um, so, yeah, it was a difficult performance. Um, but, yeah, it was just really tactically well done by Posh, quite frankly. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the possession's a really interesting point. So I'm, I'm looking at Sofa score here because the Y Scout data's not up yet, which I usually use. So so across the whole game, MK Dons is 66% of possession, people 34. But I, they break it down first half, second half. So first half was 60-40. But a lot of the MK Dons possession that first half came, Posh played, I, I think I counted 12 minutes with... Um, Kent when Kent went off. So for the first, up until the 35th minute, Posh were pressing high up the pitch. I would say the possession was almost 50-50. MK probably having more, but Posh having a real fair share of the ball and also having the ball in more dangerous areas high up the pitch when they were forcing those turnovers. And then when Kent came off, Posh dropped into a 4-4-1 block. So they moved Smodics onto right mid, um, Dembele onto left mid, and basically just tried to see out the game until until half time um and as you say mk in that period really dictated possession that's probably what shifted the first half statistics in terms of those 12 minutes where they basically had sole possession of the ball but posh's spaces between the lines were really really good you know they, they didn't let mk get anywhere near the box and when mk did put the balls into the box posh the whole game defended the box superbly well um Mason won his headers. Beavers was completely dominant in the air. Kent won a lot of important headers from crosses coming in. And they forced MK to cross from deep positions. MK weren't getting in behind Posh. Posh defended those spaces where MK really penetrated Posh in the first game, especially between the right centre-back and the and the right wing-back, as it was, when Carney played. Ward's positioning was fantastic. Kent's positioning was really good. Taylor's position, as you touched on covering that, was really good. So... He never really let MK get in behind them. The one chance that stood out in that first half was when Paul crashed that long shot against the bar, yeah, which yeah. probably came from Dembele being a little bit too wide, not used to that position, let him step in, came too late. And he, he, he hit a great one from about 30 yards. But then Posh's reaction to the second ball was superb in the box. I think it was it was either Beavers or Mason, I'm not 100% sure, just threw their body in the way of the second ball coming in and stopped that shot. And it was, it was Beavers, I think. It's <laughs> off memory. It, sound, it sounds like Beavers. It sounds a lot yeah, like yeah. Beavers. So it probably was. Um, <laughs> but for, for all their possession, so MK outshot Posh. It says 13 to 6. It's actually 13 to 7 because Beavers had a shot that went backwards. It didn't get counted as a shot, but it was a shot. Um, but both teams had four shots on target. Um, 
sorry, no, Posh had four shots on target. MK Dons had one shot on target. And MK Dons and Posh both had four shots inside the box, discounting that Beavers one. So Posh actually had five shots inside the box. So as, as we say, a lot of possession, but Posh and what they did really well was flip from being in that, being in that high press, that high block, dropping off. And then Kent came on with about three minutes ago in the first half. And what was really pleasing was how quickly his second Kent came on. Posh were pressing high again for those last three minutes. And their ability to adjust from the low block and, and keeping those spaces really compact, really nicely, to then going and pressing high, I thought was really impressive. Um, one of the standout players for me, there's so many standout performances, but people have been talking a lot about him as Dembele. And just the effort, work rate he put in off the ball, his ability to carry the ball. And what he did really well this time was release the ball at the right times. We very rarely saw him overrunning the ball. And we saw that for the second goal, whereby Sorensen maybe got a pass. He didn't get it out of his feet from, from Fraser. Dembele wins the ball off him, drives forwards, and he slides that really nice pass between the centre-back and the um, and the left side of centre-back, I think it was, for Schmodix to come in. Again, we saw, we saw MK pressing really high, really wide. Um, Schmodix's movement was good. He recognised it early, runs onto it uh, and scores. And, and from that moment on, I thought Posh really dominated the game. So, yeah, so that was really good to see that performance from, from Dembele, one we perhaps haven't seen as much of before the break. He's come back from the break. I think he, he did OK against Lincoln and then he's done really well in the last two games. What did you make of Dembele yesterday? Impress, were you impressed with him? I thought he played much better than he played in that away game. Yeah, I think in that away game, he didn't... Well, I think I think he was a effect to the team, really. I think, you know, Dembele was that... In this home game, at least, he was the he was a pivotal part of the press, as you mentioned. And, you know, of course, since that last game, he's, you know, had Mendel Crest and make a transfer and things such as that. And I feel like he's really taken on this approach of you know, proving what he's worth and proving why he's one of the better players in this league, which with a bit of consistency, he definitely can be. And, you know, two big chances he created, you know, his passing was amazing, but didn't need to be at 67% accuracy. Uh, two key passes are just some standout stats, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to take one, one thing out of this game for me, it was how good Dembele was in terms of, really driving the team forward and applying that high press on this MK on the scene, which we've seen from teams in the past, like, who all you need to do is press us, and especially with how shaky the back line was yesterday, um, you know, they're going to make mistakes, and if you can capitalise on them like Peterborough did with the quality they have up top, you're going to win games. Yeah, absolutely. I think that press was really important in terms of, didn't see that at all in the away game, sat off way too much allowed MK to dictate the play, but also if you are sitting off, they got the spaces wrong in that first game. Yesterday, I think, I know I've said it already, but just to reinforce the point, it wasn't just the energy, it was the intelligence of the press forcing the, the direction of play. And that allowed Poshen to anticipate where the passes were going. And so often they were first to the ball, if not first to the ball, they were getting really good pressure into any forward pass that did happen. Um, and not and not allowing that player to, not allowing that player to turn at all. Dembele's pressing was excellent. Schmolich's pressing was excellent. But also, Clark Harris was important in that, in terms of him, he was orchestrating the press, dictating where people were going, showing his tactical intelligence. And the pressing lines we saw from Dembele especially, I've, I've never really seen him press that, in, that intensity and intelligently for that prolonged period of time. Now, as we moved into the second half, I thought the... 
the period of play where I thought MK perhaps looked like they might build back into the game was was in that was in that period, maybe that 15 minutes between the half hour mark and the 60 minute mark. And what we saw in that period was the posh press really wasn't working very well. Main reason for that was Clark Harris. I think I noted it down after about oh yeah, 52 minutes I noted it down, how much he was tiring and therefore the press wasn't effective because that was allowing Gladwin to get three and turn and, and drive into midfield. Gladwin, I thought, was a standout player yesterday for Milton Keynes. And when MK did beat the press, the one issue Posh had was that then created a um, a 3v2 in the central areas because then you just had Taylor and Hamilton centrally and you had Fraser, Sorensen and Gladwin almost forming a triangle centrally. And that was the one period of time where I thought MK might get back into the game, might create something. But Posh, to their credit, they sort of sacrificed that area. But what they did superbly was was defend their box really, really well. And there was a moment that stuck out to me when Fraser had the ball in a, he collected the ball in a pocket of space on the, in the right half space, tried to dribble forward. Taylor pressed him, didn't quite win the ball, but then um, Beavers came out and pressed him. Then Mason came out and pressed him. War came out. Was, they put like four men around him and just, just nullified him completely. Whereas in the first game, when he was getting that ball in that space, that was where he was creating and picking those passes into the box and out wide, which are really his two two key passes where he where he splits the splits the prey. How did you see the second half going? Did you did you ever think MK were getting back into it, or did you did you always feel the game was drifting away from them? Um, I mean, I mentioned it earlier. I think any team going two down at half time, it's always difficult to come back. Um, with this Milton Keynes team, um, earlier in the season, it's always been. Well, we're getting back to half-time, getting a team talk from Russ and Luke and then going back out there and making a second-half comeback. That's happened plenty of times this season and it happened against um, Posh when we first played them this season. Um, I think yesterday it, it was less likely to see just because of the personnel we had out there. Um, you know, of course, last time we played Posh, we had people like Carl Morris and I don't know, the aforementioned Richard Keogh who, you know, there were two key parts of the spine, quite frankly, of this team, and especially with the build-up play, the link-up play that Russ Martin really likes. And we were, of course, incorporating new players into it as well, and Laird and Brown, who hadn't had a lot of game time, especially Brown, who was literally just coming in the other day. Um, so, yeah, and I think from the first half, you know, we had the chances anyway to potentially back to the game. You know, Mason, as you mentioned, with Beavers, um, and then the close calls with Gladwin and Fraser, etc. So, yeah, I mean, there's always a little glimmer of hope of a Russ Martin a team talk because it's worked so many times this season. But yeah, I mean, I think there's, there was quite a few players that weren't really contributing enough on the day. And I think Posh, I think I was pretty confident in Posh seeing it out. Yeah, I'd agree with that. For me, for me, the big difference was how the two teams defended the space between the centre-backs and the wing-backs. Because all of Posh's joy and all of their chances came in behind those the wingbacks. And that's where MK had their joy last time. And, and Posh just defended those areas really well. Um, on the right side with Taylor, Ward and Kent. On the left side with Butler, Beavers and Hamilton. You know, Hamilton and, and Taylor's positioning out of possession was flawless. They were they won a load of tackles in that area, won a load of jewels. That was that was really pleasing to see. And then I think the third goal was probably one of the best Peterborough goals we've seen this season. On a on a really poor pitch, 
where it was difficult to play out. It actually started with Mason winning ahead of inside the box. So we, I said about how important it was to defend defend the box. He won a header. Kent then flicked the header on. Ball bounces without a bit. Kent wins the second ball. Plays it into Schmodix. Posh work a nice little diamond down the left-hand side. A few passes to draw out the press a little bit. And MK, I thought MK did a pretty good job of pressing high up the pitch all game. You know, their energy out of possession was, was good all game, I thought. Um and then we saw we saw then Smodic play like a clever little like curved pass from the left hand side onto the halfway line. Dembele takes it takes it down nicely. Um, plays plays it into Butler, who again driving forwards. Um, and then importantly, he then makes a really clever run out wide. And this was where we saw maybe that that connection between the defenders not not quite working because Laird was too high up the pitch. Then we saw Paul being pulled wide by them by Dembele, which allowed Butler to drive inside. And then Paul wasn't quite sure, does he go with Dembele? Does he come back inside, cut that space? Ends up in a halfway space. Plays a pass into Dembele, who then you know squares up Laird. We see his 1v1 skill. But then that run by Schmodix, and I, I'm not sure if you saw it, but he starts out centrally in the box. He sees that the um, I think it's Sorano and Harvey are defending the left hand side of the box are completely closed off to him. So he arcs his run behind him and then arcs in front of him to the front post. No one sees him coming, and then he um, he buries the ball from the from the Dembele pass. And that's the schmodics we've not seen all season from Peter's perspective. And it's kind of unlucky for MK that he's had his best game of the season against them. But it was a game that was made for him in terms of that intelligent movement, that running off the ball. And he and he did that superbly, superbly well. Um and then and then after that, it was I thought Fergie got a sub spot on. So I said um I said about Clark Harris starting to tire and the press not really working. Brought Jay Jones on, who added good energy, running in behind, added pace. That was a clever sub. I mean, the sub that really killed the game off was when he brought Brown on four Schmodix and then went to a 5-3-2. That negated that overload that MK Dons were getting centrally as, as a one. And then what we saw then was just Posh sitting off in shape in a, in a five and then a three out of possession and just saying to MK Dons, you know, if you want to get back into the game, it's very unlikely you're going to have to break us down and score three times. And Posh's, again, distances between the lines and within the lines were absolutely spot on. But again, the thing that really struck me about MK, and maybe I'll ask you about this, is just when I heard Russell Martin talking on your podcast, he spoke about ball speed. And he spoke a lot about moving the ball quickly and putting teams out of position. I just thought MK were far too slow in possession. We saw them getting caught out in midfield and, and sometimes even, even in their own half in possession. I thought players... and and. I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass with the pitch being awful, but then Posh moved the ball quite quickly. So maybe that's less of the pass you'd otherwise give them. But you saw the player's first touch was never quite right. It wasn't going into the space they needed to, so they had to take a second touch. I thought the ball speed of their passes, I didn't think they were zipping the passes in quick enough. I thought they were just like too tame, a little bit soft, and it was too easy for Posh to shuffle across the pitch. And... And too often it was just a sloppy pass. It maybe wasn't in front of the player, it was behind the player and that invited the press. And that and that surprised me by just how slow that ball speed was, knowing what I do about MK. Did you think that was an issue? Is that something you've seen a lot this season or was that sort of the pitch playing a part or or just, just an off day? Um, I think earlier in the season it had been an issue. Um, 
Russ Martin has spoken about how um, on iFollow, uh, ball speed can look a lot slower than it actually is. Um, and from what from what Jeremy Ross has told me from being at the games previous when they were actually allowed to, um, yeah, that was certainly the case. And how iFollow gives you a certain perception of a game when perhaps if you were actually at the stadium, you'd have a different perception of it, which I can understand. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, to be honest, I think it comes down to what I got earlier. There was no real communication on the pitch. There's no one telling them to pick up the ball speed and, you know, trying up the tempo a bit. And they were just happily, as you said, just you know, having the high press and running around a lot, but not doing a great amount with it. And that happened a fair bit earlier in the season when we were still in the very early phases of this new system. Um, and we weren't really clicking as a team. And, and that makes sense because of the makeshift defence we put together and players are all over the place in terms of petitions yesterday. Um, but yeah, I think um, I mentioned, I think I used the word recipe for disaster when I first um, jumped on the call with you, James. And the whole performance was that essentially. And uh, yeah, I think I think you are right. That, that was an issue yesterday. But I think um, I follow definitely doesn't help the ball speed narrative that that often that's been brought up this season with Russ Martin teams. That's fair. But what, what I kind of meant by ball speed was maybe players taking three or four touches before moving it. Whereas oh, okay. and All then right. but then Posh would like one and, and you saw a couple of really nice moves where Posh were playing one or two touch out wide and getting in behind the wing backs. Whereas then when when MK had it it always seemed to be like a touch and then you saw it with the Bosch second goal where Sorensen's just touched and come out of his feet. He then had to take another touch. By the time he'd taken that touch, Dembele had pressed him from behind. He wasn't quite sure. Dembele won the ball of strength. And I, thought I, that think, was... um, I think the same points still apply, though. Like There was no one, for example, the last chance you mentioned with to led to the second goal. There was probably, he probably didn't know what to do with it, to be completely honest. There was no one there yeah. to tell him, I agree the ball or come here and I don't have any clear instructions. And, that obviously hadn't has not helped with the change of switch switch of formation after ten minutes and all this all the personnel being mixed about. Um, but yeah, I, I do I see what you're saying now. Yeah, regarding the extra touches. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing I thought about MK which really stood out to me was Posh did a really good job of getting runners in behind and attacking those spaces quickly. Um, and there was a moment that stood out to me in the second half whereby Posh were building down down the right. And you had Kent as the right centre-back charging forwards into that space behind um, Sorinola and Harvey, it must have been. And, and Posh did a really good job of pulling the wing-back out of possession, so he switched play a lot, pulled the wing-back out of possession by playing into either Ward or Butler, and then immediately sent a runner inside to out into that space. Um, I just thought MK had a load of players who liked to come to feet and play to feet but didn't really have many runners in behind. The only the only time I can really remember MK getting a runner in behind is Cam and Jerome. And the one moment that stands out was probably the best chance MK had all game, whereby Gladwin had the ball deep. Jerome ran off the shoulder, which he does really well. Gladwin played a fantastic outside of the foot pass over the top of the defence. And Jerome first time put like a half volley over the bar. But... I really felt MK lacked runners in behind and a bit of drive. Laird gave it a bit, but that was more dribbling with the ball rather than running running in behind. And I felt that was that was something that was lacking. Um, but moving moving on from that, 
talking now about Peterborough a little bit more and, and, and the players, I thought man for man, it was outstanding performance. I struggled to rate anyone below an eight. Probably the best 90-minute performance we've seen from partial season. We showed different facets to the game, pressing, sitting off, pressing, tiring and sitting off again. Back three were all outstanding, defended their boxes superbly well. Mason not only adjusting to that positional side of things, but ball playing from from um, that central area. Beavers had his limitations on the ball, but defended su- superbly. Hamilton came into the side, has to stay into the, in the side. Just comfortable in possession, but legs and strength out of possession. Taylor was just a complete powerhouse, just outstanding on the ball, outstanding off the ball. Wingbacks gave drive up and down the pitch. Ward got not just with his assist, but the balance he gave to the team and his defensive positioning were excellent. Schmodix, again, posh created scenarios where he was running into space in those wide areas was outstanding. Dembele also, and and Clark Harris, who I think was maybe rated a little bit lower than some of the other players in the in the player ratings on, on the um, in the Telegraph, but he just dominated in the air. He just seemed to win every single header that header that went into him. Was there anyone for Posh that stood out to you, and how do you see them and their chances moving forwards? Um, yeah, I mentioned Taylor and Hamilton earlier as duo midfield. I really like them together. Um, us, Taylor especially, he just seems to complete midfielder, doesn't he? And um, you know, if uh, if Posh don't get up to the championship quickly, I'm sure he'll be up there himself. Um, whilst Joe Ward perhaps didn't lose consistency in that performance, I felt he was there when he was needed. And that's what you can ask for sometimes in League One. And I think, obviously, his assist for the first goal was terrific. Um, and Dembele, uh, been a fan for years of Dembele. Um, went to a few posh games when he first joined. And he just, for me, he's one of the better players in the league. He just needs that consistency, as we spoke about earlier. If he can get that consistency and, you know, show it on a, on a, on a regular basis, I suppose, he'll be um, either... With any championship will be on with Posh or another club, um, and yeah, I mean, if we look at the table now, um, you know, Posh are in fifth after that victory, and uh, you've got the likes of Doncaster, Pompey, Hohen, Lincoln above them right now. Um, from from an MK Don perspective, Hull have been the best team we've played this season. They absolutely dominated us at home. Probably apart from this performance on Saturday, that was probably the most handling performance we had all season at home. Um, yeah, Hull Hull have got, I don't know. They should be top of the league, really. I had a bad run um, a month ago or so, but they're starting to pick it back up now. Um, Lincoln, um, you know, pretty solid team with Appleton. Uh, they'll definitely be up there. Um, Pompey, we actually gave Pompey a good game, um, but they seem to pick up their form recently. Uh, Doncaster, obviously they've lost their Whiteman now, which is a big blow for them, so it'll be interesting to see whether they fall off. And... Um, yeah, and Charlton and Sunderland, two other teams up there, and Ipswich as well. They, well, MK Dons beat Charles and Sunderland both away. And Ipswich have always been a team that have been a bit yo-yo for me. They haven't really been able to hit the consistency that they should be able to. Um, so, yeah, I think Posh have actually got a good chance to get in the top three this season at the very least. Um, it For me, it all depends on if Atkinson can keep up their form. And especially their home form has been absolutely terrific there. You know, we went there and lost and... Plenty of the teams have and will do this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you've done your own preview, James, on the transfer window for January. And I'm not sure how much recruitment Posh actually needs, to be completely honest, based on that performance on Saturday. Um, but if you can get maybe one or two players that, you know, Fergie believes can improve the squad, 
then I think there's a great chance you can leapfrog uh, Donny and Pompey and uh, get into our top three and maybe the automatics. Yeah, so just just on the players and then moving on to chances forward. So I thought what Ward gave Posh, which they haven't perhaps had, is just just a complete balance down that right side in that he gives you a bit of drive going forward. He defends well, but the key was his pressing and his timing of the pressing going forward was superb. And that and that really helped Posh get um, get a foothold in the game and, and and dominate the game early on. And you said about Dembele's consistency. The funny thing with Dembele is for the first probably 10, maybe eight games of the season, he was consistently brilliant. He was like doing things that very few players in this league, if any players in this league, can do on a regular basis. Then he dropped off. I would not be surprised now to see him put on another consistent run yeah, of, of games. And all, and even when he does drop off, he gets so much criticism, but he will still do one or two things each game, which, which are vital and, and can change the game. It's just when he doesn't have the when he doesn't have the good when he's not on top form, he just gives the way the ball away a little bit too much, and that's really frustrating for fans. And maybe seems that like he's playing much worse than he actually is when he's just not at those those levels he go he can get to. It's interesting you said about the teams around Posh. Posh's next two games, just looking forward a little bit at home to Charlton on Tuesday night, and then away to Ipswich next weekend. Two games I am not worried about at all. I think yeah, I don't think you should be either. Yeah. I think Charlton and Charlton and Ipswich haven't seen them play a couple of times and seen the and seen the numbers are two teams who are far less than the sum of their parts in that they've got the players to be top top teams in this division but don't put together performances on a consistent basis Charlton just look a little bit lacking of an identity Ipswich try and build out from the back a lot more than they used to but um I'm not sure that's playing to their strengths in a way. I don't think they look as good as when they were a little bit more direct in the early part of last season. Two games of Posh are on top form. I, I think they should be they should be winning. Um take four points if you gave it to me now, but and they're probably going to lose both of them now. I, I think there's every chance Posh will come out of those two games with with six points. Um and, and we've seen Posh play well back end of last season against against really good teams. Um had a bit of a wobble, say like the Pompey game stands out as a really poor one this year, but a lot of that came down to just playing a system that didn't suit the game, springing the diamond that didn't work. If Posh likely will go in the same team, especially those extra legs, Hamilton and Taylor, which I've been saying for a long time, I think is Posh Best's central midfield partnership. Hopefully, if they get a consistent run of games, will become even better and, and can hopefully go on. We've, I, I spoke on your podcast about Fergie being a bit of a streaky manager, and chopping and changing too much when things are going bad too quickly. But then when things are going well, just maintaining that momentum and building a run, hopefully we'll see Posh go on. They've had a bit of a sticky patch, seem to have come out of it now with the break helping. Hopefully now we'll see them kick on and go on a bit of a run. Let's finish by talking about your thoughts on MK season. So I'll give you mine first of all, because I saw especially, especially after the Charlie Brown signing, I saw a load of MK fans on, on Twitter saying we're going to push for the playoffs. Um, I think putting all that pressure on Brown, who is very much improving at senior football and has a lot of potential and, and does a lot of things well in terms of his, in terms of his movement, is really intelligent, he's got a good pace, but perhaps lacks the physicality to make an immediate impact in League One. And to expect him to kick MK on another level, having lost Morris, I'd much rather have Morris than Brown. 
And my overall impression of MK is that they're a side that are building a really interesting project, they're a side that are improving quite rapidly. But one, you've already quite a long way away from those playoffs. And two, showing that, yes, there's games you're going to dominate, but perhaps not get the wins. And then there's games you're going to dominate on paper, but like the Peter game, not actually be dominating just because of the possession, whereas Peter were very much controlling the game and dictating the game without the ball. Um, so my thoughts are, MK, this year I see being around the mid-table mark, probably about 14th, 12th position, but maybe being a little bit better than that in terms of performances, but not in league position. Next year, I can easily see MK being a top 10 team and pushing for the playoffs. But I think any, in my opinion, any hope of pushing for the playoffs this year, I know the data is good, but I just think one, a little bit too much. And two, with the league being as strong as it is, you're going to have to go on a crazy run at some point, And that's going to be very difficult to do. How do you see MK playing out for the rest of the season? Yeah, um, at the start of the season, um, of course, we um, lost routine and I was on record on, for example, the PO4 podcast, the Pompey podcast. I said to them that anything, as long as we don't get relegated, I'll be happy with how the season went. Um, obviously, since then, we've kicked on a bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm happy with this year being season consolidation. I don't think anyone, I think, <laughs> I don't think anyone realistically is saying we should push it for the playoffs. Uh, I think before the Peterborough game, I believe we were like, if he had won that game with five points off, then it's maybe a bit more realistic. But what we now eleven points off the playoffs, it's uh, either way, it's not looking that too great. But no, I mean, I'm happy with if we say we finish sixteenth now, I'll be more than happy. You know, the season's never about pushing on for the playoffs and beating all these teams. Like, of course, beating us and the chart ones of the world is nice. Um, but ultimately, if we can keep up picking up wins against the Swindons and the Wiggins, I think. Uh, Many people will be satisfied with that. Go into next season, hopefully have more really good talents coming into the club who believe in the ethos, believe in Martin. Um, and yeah, as you said, hopefully our playoff push next season will be nice. Um, let's just hope we can keep the talents that we have around for another season. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. I think, like as you say, the pre-season expectations, I expect, well, I, I, I did my pre-season preview. I had you one place above the relegation zone. Um, but I think what I did, and I think what a lot of people have done, was underestimate Russell Martin as a manager and underestimate yeah. the impact he's going to have on that team. But I think now some people are at risk of almost overestimating that impact in the short term and, see, and seeing the immediate ceiling being a little bit higher than it is. Um, yeah, I, you said 16th. I think you finished above that. I think you will slowly climb up the table. I think there's a couple of teams who are going to drop down the table if um, thinking about teams like Gillingham, who, you know, MK, similar league position to Gillingham, I think a little bit behind them in the table, but I would have them as a as a much better team um, than them. So I, I think you will pick up, but yeah, I think if you finish mid-table, that's a great season. Anticipate Russell Martin doing some good things in the summer window, bringing even more players in if fit the style of play and, and then kicking on next season. Um, so yeah, I think we've had a positive finish for Posh and a positive finish for Milton Keynes. So I think that's a good point to end the podcast. I'm going to say thank you very much for coming on, Liam. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me on. And thank you to everyone who listened at home.